and welcome to the Undead Wookiee podcast, episode 39, A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. I am your host, Hugh Lloyd. And before I introduce my very special guest this evening, let's check out the trailer. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? You just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah! Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Heels Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, and we are back, ladies and gentlemen. I am here with my very, very special guest. We threatened to bring him back on. He thought he was out. We pulled him back in. Mr. J. Prowse, how the devil are you, sir? No! <laughs> I'm very well, sir. How are you? I'm okay. I'm good. I'm very, very good. I love the fact that we keep the pretense up that we haven't been talking before we started <laughs> yeah. recording. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So we are talking A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. Yeah. So this, I mean, this is um, probably the franchise of the kind of big three, if you like, that I got into. First of all, but I went in a weird way. I saw um, Dream Warriors first, uh, you, backwards. See, now that's see, not. It's not a bad one to start off with, is it? No, no, no. It's no. not a bad one. I mean, if you had dived in at, you know, Freddy's Revenge, that would have been odd, wouldn't it? That would have been a weird way in. That yeah. would, have, you know, and that would have, pro- you know, left you scratching your head and at an impressionable age asking some interesting questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, no, I, I, um, I remember hearing about. Freddy's Revenge when I was at school and um, I remember these kids talking about it. I was like who's this Freddy what's this all about and then I saw the poster I was like I'm never watching that that no, looks terrifying no. um, and then you know your interest is peaked and then a couple of years later I was like I just want to you know you start to see little scenes and little clips and the trailer on other videos and so on and so forth and I, I took the plunge and I was kind of hooked straight away and then I thought well I need to see the first one but I couldn't I think I couldn't rent the first one I wasn't yeah. enough yeah and did that kind of went to the second one, which kind of didn't really make much sense. With the <laughs> and then went back to the first one and then everything made sense. Well, um, yeah, yeah go go on, on, I, um, I always remember the poster 
and, you know, and, and in the good old days of the, you know, the video store, the poster, um, being sort of the the sort of the landscape style poster, mm. yeah, yeah, with, I know the with just the shadow and the claw coming over, That's right. and that being on the counter, on the and on the on the front bit of the counter, and just being shit scared of it. Yeah, I think that's probably my, possibly my favourite poster um, after or before the Fright Night one. Mm. But either of those two, um, yeah, I love that poster. I love the Freddy's Revenge poster as well. To be fair, I, I like those. I forget that someone's going to kill me for this. I forget the the name of the artist, but he did a bunch of stuff, and I think he still does, unless I'm wrong. But um, yeah, I love all that kind of artistic stuff that they don't. You know, like nowadays it's photoshopped faces, and everyone's supposed to be in the photo together and of course they yeah. are all facing different ways yeah. and it's horrible and cheap but i love all of that stuff and i wish yeah. they'd do more of it i mean i um i think the hand painted cover is you know is is it is, is something that is completely lost now i mean one of the other great covers is have you, oh god and I, I don't know it's early 80s don't ask me who's in it who directed it um but it's ninja mission <laughs> The, the title alone come on the cover has a guy you know he's dressed in you know he's got a um, one of those big like um oh what they would like sort of respirator type thing on you know mm. um and he's got an uzi and there's explosions <gasps> in the background and there's ninjas and i think there's like a propeller boat somewhere and you just think this is the greatest film ever made and you know it's an absolute pile of shit oh, and it is it, it's unwatchable even a, you know, even when I you know, as a kid, I remember watching it, thinking, "I've been duped you." Mm. I demand my one pound fifty back. <laughs> one pound fifty. Wow. One pound fifty. <laughs> that the, takes me back. The video shop with us, they used to do the. The deal was you could have brand new releases with two pound, mm-hmm. or you could have three older releases for one pound fifty. Smorgasbord, that would be. I'd be. Oh, worried. it was just, it was just amazing. And I remember, like, you know, being able to. And I, we were really, really lucky. There was a group of us, and we were, we were pretty much members of every video shop um, within like a ten mile radius. So, <laughs> and you know, we had some, re- some amazing, and you know, we'd always go for like go to one particularly for horror, which was really, really good. And then we'd always go for one for like uh, martial arts movies and action movies. Um, and then we'd always be able to, you know, there was another one then for something. And we, the one video, you know, we had, I remember renting in one go, um, Legends of the Seven Golden Vampires. Fantastic. Um, Evil Dead 2. In and, one go, sorry, was this? Yeah, in one go. Yeah. And the Deadly Spawn. Not so good, but, you know. No, no, it was terrible. Was Absolutely pretty. terrible. I think it made for about, you know, clearly made for about £3.50 and a packet of fags. Yeah. But uh, it was just... Uh, amazing i oh, know i loved it i used to love when i'd go to a, a mate's house and we'd go to their video shop and i'd be like right I've, I've had everything from my video shop what's in there that's where i discovered the uh the wondrous lights of um i can really call it mission impossible missing in action and oh. missing in action too oh which, god oh, i loved it. i haven't seen them for years and i kind of don't want to because i don't want to ruin it i've it's on netflix missing missing in action is on netflix Oh, and it's, I didn't notice that. Okay, cool. On my watch list. And know what you just think? Go on. You know you want to. Go on. Oh. You, do, you know, gonna... <laughs> An Invasion USA is on there as well. 
Oh, that's the one with him in the um, the denim with the Uzis. Yes, the cover, that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the manliness of that cover is just you know it is incredible. You know, I think women have got pregnant walking past it. <laughs> well, it's Chuck Norris. It's, it I is. think I've been pregnant walking past <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, anyway, back right. to a nightmare on Elm Street. So, 1984. Mm. Um, it was released in November of 1984. Um, of course, it was directed by um, a certain Mr. Wes Craven, uh, produced by Robert Shea, written by Wes Craven. It starred Heather Langenkamp, uh, John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Amanda Weiss, Nick Corey, and some no-name by the name of Johnny Deep. Mm, no, not familiar. Whatever happened to him? Mm, I think he got sucked into a bed and no one yeah. saw him. <laughs> well, that was the end of it. Yeah, that was it. That, that was, was it. it. It's a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Mr. Robert Englund himself. Indeed, yes. Now, obviously, there's a, you know, in terms of cast, that's a pretty good cast. It's not bad, is it? It's a pretty honest. good cast. If you, you know, would you ever, but what an interesting mix. If you look at it from a modern perspective, kids mm. seeing this now, Johnny Depp, what? You know, and, you know, and he's, it's his first film it's his first film that he's done yep. and um, well, let's get it out the way now his love of a good Nike tank top and <laughs> that yes. that crop top that he's wearing yeah yeah I remember that and I've um, I've asked to I've been asked to mention the old Buffon hair as well that I mean that hair, we forget yeah that hair and I mean Heather Langenkamp's hair as well, I don't mm. think it could be. I think that hair came with shoulder pads itself, because I don't think it could be any more eighties. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, actually. And and Johnny Depp nearly didn't get the role. I think um, Charlie Sheen yeah. turned down before him, yeah. which I find really interesting. And I, I, there's a lot of roles I think Charlie Sheen turned down that actually the film is better off for him not being in it. Not that I've got anything but against. Charlie Sheen at all, but he just he's he's not very boy next door. No, no, and I mean Charlie Sheen at one point before the winning and the Tiger Blood God, and, yeah. and and two and a half men, mm. um, and obviously completely losing his marbles. Yeah, um, he was a people forget he was a very very good character. Yeah, and you know you look at. Um, you know, for you know, yeah, he was in Red Dawn, which is a yep. is a big guilty pleasure of mine. Yeah, um, I, 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 all of that kind of Brat Pack era stuff. I'm yeah, that's that's my youth. That is, so I'm all over that. That's fine. I remember watching uh, Red Dawn with my father uh, one night when my mother had sort of uh, left the house and just think, you know, clearly she wouldn't have been impressed with the, the sheer level of violence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. you know, and he was in, you know, he's in Wall Street and Platoon. His performance in Platoon is mind-blowing. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. But there's no way on earth he would have fitted into this. No, not at all. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to imagine, no, I, I mean, even though he's a very good actor, and actually, to be fair, in, in Platoon, he's kind of that wide-eyed character, so oh, yeah. maybe. But, no, I'm glad it was Johnny Depp. And he only got the role because Wes Craven's daughter really fancied him. Wes Craven thought he was kind of sallow skinned and he had <laughs> his cigarette, um, his fingers were like, had cigarette stains all over them. And he was, he was just, he looked, and he yeah. was like, no, 
no, no, no. And then uh, his uh, West Graves' daughter was like, but he's beautiful. <laughs> All right. It worked out well. Too, it, it, it worked out in the end. But, uh, you know, and then we've got, of course, we've got uh, Heather Langenkamp. Now, obviously, she's best known for this series, but I mean, she's a, you know, she's a working actress. Yep. Um, and I think her craft as an actress has improved as time has gone on because yeah. there's a few moments in mm-hmm. this. I think yeah. she does a great job because, I mean, they're very, very young. I mean, she was, she was 17 or 18 yeah. when she made this. Um, there's a few lines that just go clang. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and I, I, but it she works very, very well in this. Um, Nick Corey, I think, is a, is really interesting in this because he has he doesn't have an awful lot to work with, no, no. but he do, he gives a really good performance. And he's kind of ostensibly the bad boy. Yes. But to be fair, there is a yeah, there's a bit more depth to the character. Actually, there's more depth to the character, and he brings that out. To be fair, so. Yes. Um, but Heather Langenkamp's interesting. Yeah, she's <laughs> there are definitely one or two um, clunky lines that she doesn't quite um, deliver on. No, but I'm... to be fair, like you say, it's her first film. She'd done. Um, I think she was an extra on the out. Sorry, in the Outsiders, the the, the old backpack, the Francis yes. Ford film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she. She'd done something else. Oh, Rumblefish, I think. She was an extra on that as well. So she hasn't really done anything. So, and I, I, personally, I think she's, you know, the acting aside, she's she's one of the the great final girls. Yes. Proper, as they say, badass. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I can, I can, I can overlook the, um, yeah, slightly, yeah, rougher edges, let's say. And I mean, speaking of not doing an awful lot, we, you know, we come to John Saxon. Uh-huh. I mean, he's got 198 credits to his name. <laughs> yeah. You know, but among, don't get me wrong, we, we were talking before we started recording about the fact that, um, you know, I think it's fair to say not all of his stuff has been um, of the highest caliber. No, uh, that's true. Yeah. But, you know, he was Roper and Enter the Dragon. Yeah. You know, Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah, he was in. Um, he's been in. He was in Tenebrae. Yeah. He was in um, the Girl Who Knew Too Much, Mario yes. Barber's yeah. second film. Yeah. He yeah. was in Black Christmas, and he, I think he kind of took this role off the back of being in Black Christmas, and yes. he kind of thought it harked back to that character, and he liked playing that character. So, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, like you say, he's a working actor. He's been in a ton of films. He's been in Play a ton Genghis of Khan. Crime. There you go. Exactly. Twice. What's not to like? Twice he's played <laughs> Genghis Khan. <laughs> What's not to like? I, no. I think he's great. I, I just, when I see him in a film, I always, I, even though, like you say, some of the films are crap, I see him in a film, for some reason it just, it just elevates the film. As I was saying, he's, he's the yeah. 25%. It doesn't matter what film he's in, he raises it by 25%, just by his presence. And he doesn't phone it in. He never does, no. No, that's the thing. Um, that's the, you know, there's the, the story about the hair pieces, as I've mentioned to you before. Tell when, he went to the, when he went to the first makeup session for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, 
he bought a set of different hair pieces because he wanted to build a believable character. So he bought like a conservative hair piece and a kind of sort of straggly hair piece. And he was like, what kind of copy is he? What's his lifestyle, et cetera. And they went for the conservative one in the end. But I love that. I love that he went there and they were like, you know, the makeup people thought it was hilarious, but at the same yeah. time, they were like, you can't knock the guy. He's a professional. Yeah. You know, he wants to do a good job. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And he wasn't, you know, he's not embarrassed by it at all. Why should he be? No. I think it's fantastic. No, it is. And I mean, he, you know, he, his performance is very real yeah. and very, very grounded. Um, yeah. And actually, he, you know, like you said, he is a 25 percenter. Now, Absolutely. the other person, and I'm sure we'll come, we'll come on to him in far more detail than uh, Mm. And we'll sort of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll briefly, is Robert England. Now, yep. my first encounter of Robert England, with probably the same as most people, was the miniseries V. Yep. Yeah, Willie. Yes. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who thought that he'd go from that to this? Because no. in terms of characters, it's a completely different, um, it's a completely different kettle of fish. <clears throat> no, and there are a couple of interesting just reading about it, Maureen, more into it, a couple of interesting people who could possibly have taken the role. Yeah. One of them is David Warner. He doesn't remember actually ever going for the part and says that he probably didn't, but that's mm. one of them. Um, but then he pops up in screen two later yeah. on. And, screen yeah. film. and Richard Mole, who might not be familiar to some people who's in things like Night Train to Terror, the Flintstones, Jingle All the Way, all the classics. <laughs> he turned the role down. If he, he's like Richard Mole, M O double L. So if people listening want to look him up, he he's kind of got the face. You could you could see it. Yeah. Also, David Warner certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, go on, Cameron. No, no, no. I mean, David Warner is a great character actor, and um, you know, I could see I, you could see him as uh, Freddy Krueger, but. Yeah. Um, Robert England, you know, there is nobody else. He is just, you know, he is Freddy Krueger. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he's a lovely, lovely guy by all accounts. Um, yeah, apparently so. Yeah. CL Raven um, uh, were at, um, I think, where were they? I think it was at Cardiff, Cardiff Comic Con where they were, um, I think there were guests on there. And um, they spent, they, they had spent quite a bit of time with them and he saw them. And obviously, the, you know, being the you know the glamorously gothy gal pals that they are, they kind of stick out a little bit. And twins, mm -hmm. and then he saw them, and then he started reciting Edgar Allan Poe's "The Raven" at them from across the sort of uh, Motor Point Arena. Um, and then he had loads of photos with them, um, and just a really, really nice guy. Absolutely, really nice legend. guy. Love it, love yeah. it. It's always nice when you meet you. I was speaking to to Gidget von Leroux, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, yesterday and she was talking about meeting her heroes and she'd um met uh christopher lee uh in wow. belgium they were staying opposite uh christopher lee in two hotels i think opposite each other met him and he was really nice and oh, ray harryhausen uh, on a plane somewhere and said he was absolutely <laughs> lovely but she didn't have a camera and she didn't think to ask for a, an autograph but I thought that was really nice. She was just like, he was lovely. I was like, it's fantastic when you meet your hero. Because they yeah. say don't meet your heroes and all that kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're just amazing people. You're just like, oh, it just reaffirms your belief in the human race. I yeah. love it. Well, on the weekend, um, I was at um, the Body Power Expo in Birmingham. Uh, and I got to meet Martin Ford. Um, he's, you know, he just yep. a giant 
man. I saw your photo on Facebook. He's, I, I look like his sort of, you know, special needs hobbit cousin stood next to him. You're, you were quite literally half the man he was. He is. He is. He's huge. He is enormous. <laughs> right, he shook my hand, and I think he could have just picked me up. Yeah, he and, did look enormous. And shook me. Um, and friends of mine uh, who, who were there, uh, one of them is... Um, you know, just has just retired from playing rugby, and uh, you know he's it's, you know second row for Pony Pool, and he's a big guy. He looked like a little boy next to him, <laughs> but he was just the nicest, friendliest guy ever. Really, really polite, really lovely. Asking how everybody was, took time out to have photographs of people. He's just a really nice guy. Yeah, it's not difficult not to be a dick, to be honest, but for no. some reason, some people just don't have that in yeah. their DNA. Yeah. Well, Nick Corey, interestingly enough, um, mm. I met at Bristol Horicon. Um, and he, again, really nice guy. Oh, I didn't know he did all of that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think he pops up every now and again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really nice guy. Just normal. Fantastic. Just normal. So, I mean... <sighs> Interesting, you know, this is, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nobody, I think it's fair to say, would have thought that Wes Craven, at this point in his career, would have such a mega hit on his hands. Because, you know, it was made for 1.8 million. Yep. And it went on to do 25.5 million at the box office. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, it's... And that's 1984 money. Yeah, I mean, that's not unprecedented obviously but that's that's the way and he to be fair he struggled to get that made before it went to new line cinema i think they got that in 1982 and they optioned it for like i don't know five thousand dollars something like that i think and it took them a while to to develop it so on and so forth um and they were um, looking at some really shonky titles for it as well do, yeah. Have you heard one one's dream skill which is either <laughs> dreams kill or dream skill as in you can um you know in your dreams you might have some kind of skill or superpowers to defeat the <laughs> it's just like oh come on really because i think it was called a nightmare on l street originally yeah yeah um, off the back of that um he read an article um i think in the la times or something about these young adult men having these really aggressive nightmares yes um and apparently they were from like cambodia or somewhere i've got the yeah notes. yeah i can't the, see it so i'm just trying to remember they were refugees <laughs> they were refugees from That's the, right. from yeah, the yeah. homong tribe yeah 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 so they they come out of like relocation camps i think in the war zone or something yeah. um, and he read a story about this this chap um they'd given him sleeping pills because he hadn't slept for x number of nights um and he couldn't fight it eventually, and he passed out. And they thought, oh, that's fine. He's been taking his sleeping pills. And then he woke up, like, flailing in his room, yeah. uh, screaming. His parents kind of ran in the room, and he fell dead. And then they found the sleeping pills hidden, like, under his bed. And he had a coffee machine hidden in the cupboard. And when they did the autopsy later on, he there was nothing wrong with him. They couldn't find anything wrong with him at all. No. And so he kind of – that's a pretty terrifying thing to read about. It is, uh, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, you know, the, and – just and there was no reason for them to die. Exactly, no discernible reason whatsoever that they could see. Certainly not medical. Um, and but you know, I can see how that's a, a really interesting premise, even though it's kind of you know, it's it's pretty black to take something like that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, well, the, the condition is they've actually named the condition as Asian Death Syndrome. Mm, mm. Um, it's a variant on sudden unexpected death syndrome and yep. Brugada syndrome. 
Ah. So, so I, you know, I'm I'm reeling that off as if I know it. I yeah. looked that up, you know, yeah. my, yeah. my vast medical knowledge of, uh, you yeah, know, that's impressive, impressive. That's <laughs> like your notes are in front of you, aren't you? I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, go on. Sorry. It is, you know, and it's sometimes when you look at the background um, behind these type of things. You know that actually the reality is far scarier than yeah, than, yeah than film, yeah. You know, and it's um, but you know, obviously Craven's first you know films before this, he did uh, Last House on the Left uh, yep. in 1972, and then he did The Hills of Eyes in 77, yep. um, and I, they garnered him a fair amount of controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, yes. particularly Last House on the Left. Yeah. Last time, I mean, Wes Craven himself is a really interesting character. Um, you know, he came from a Jehovah's Witness background. Um, his parents, you know, didn't really, you know, didn't encourage him to go to the movies. And he sort of got to a certain age where, you know, he was able to sort of, you know, break away and then just started devouring it. And then he wanted, you know, and that's where his, where his love of sort of film and everything came from. And then he decided that if he was going to make a film... He needed to make it the most shocking that he could possibly get to get it noticed. Yep. Um, and I think he achieved that in Last House on the Left. Yeah, yeah, he certainly did. It's still pretty shocking, actually, to be fair. It's not that's, um, good. Yeah, and he, he did that with uh, Sean S. Cunningham, who, of course, went on to create the uh, Friday the 13th series. I'm sure everyone already knows that. Vaguely. That's much of a, re- a revelation. Yeah. I mean, he, um, you know, and this is the other thing is, you know, we think about A Nightmare on Elm Street. And, you know, in 1984, nobody would have thought that there would be, you know, and if we include Freddy versus Jason, seven films, mm-hmm. um, a TV series, a, and, you know, I think there's only one, you know, the, the Freddy's Nightmares. You know, it wasn't bad, actually. It wasn't bad. I didn't mind it. I, uh, do you know what I used to, yeah, I've got, um, I probably haven't anymore, but like VHS tapes of that taped off of the TV. Because I used to love all of that. Because he used to inter- introduce them as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I loved that. It was like devouring anything Freddy. In hindsight, I'm like, yeah. And this, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, people today see Freddy and they see, you know, they see the T-shirts. They see, you know, and on my desk in front of me now, I got my Funko Pop Freddy. You know, oh, I got, yeah. I got yeah. my, you know, got my Freddy on one side. I got Jason on the other. There's Elvira kicking around at the back there. You know, there's, yeah, there's Michael Myers. But, you know, he has become this this cultural phenomena, this icon of pop culture. Um, but in 1984, when people were making, you know, when New Line, green, you know, greenlit this film, when Bob's, mm. you, know, you know, when Robert Shades decided, yep. you know, to give it a go, nobody, nobody was even considered thinking about this. No, no. I think there's another film as well, because he, uh, Wes Craven had done some interviews way before we was talking about it. I can't remember who did it, but a company did a film called Dreamscape, and it also had a, a kind of uh, clawed hand effect in it and so on and so forth. And I think after he was like, never, ever reveal anything ahead of time again. That was a terrible mistake because they kind of cribbed it. It was a bomb. So, you know, yeah, yeah. karma and all that. But yeah, that's that's quite grim. I'd be really depressed by that, to be honest. Yeah. But, I mean, like you look at, you know, we, you know, you say about Freddy, you know, automatically people jump to, you know, the Fresh Prince's track about Freddy. Uh, yeah. The Fat Boy single. Yeah. Um, but here we have got 
the you know we have got the creature in its in its truest form. Yeah, yeah. From I look from my point of view, this is when he's like at his most malevolent and terrifying because he's seen mostly in the darkness, like this kind of creature of shadows, if you like. Yeah. Um, and then this is way before he starts to become a parody of himself and becomes this like MTV villain. You know, like there's, I think we've shared it a few times that there's like the, the gif of him putting sunglasses on and yeah, all of that yeah. stuff. You know, and, and you know, broad daylight and what have you. This is him as a, as he should have stayed. This yeah. kind of, this, this terrifying shadowy kind of, you know, he, there's a couple of, wise cracks you can see why he became the person he was because he you know there's a lot of um he's an interesting character and he's um yeah yeah uh, charismatic that's the word i'm looking for yeah um but i like him you know he's he's a terrifying person in this you see his teeth in kind of just like this slightly lit and they're all kind of black and the, the skin's kind of peeling off of him and so on and so forth it's his ear. the fact he's got a hole in his ear yeah, yeah, yeah. And you only catch glimpses of it. I mean, the makeup effect, in you know, is just is stunning. Yeah. Is ju- it's an incredible piece of work. It is, it is. And I, um, I mean, I think I was joking about talking about old pizza face, and then yeah. I read, I read about the oh, his name's got it out of my head. The guy who did the um, special effects for this was trying tons of different stuff. Yes, trying tons of different stuff, and then one day he was eating pepperoni pizza. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's it. The tomato and then the cheese on top kind of stretches and moves over it. That's what I need. So we created this kind of reddish, pinkish underlay, if you like, and then put the cheese on top, for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah. That's how he created that look. And it was, yeah, it was, it was actually pepperoni pizza. They tried a ton of different – and you've got pictures of Burns victims and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And you just couldn't quite get it to – to work and it was a yeah pepperoni pizza saved the day and then we've got you know and i mean we talked about robert england and i mean the fact that he brings so much to this he brings Mm. so much physicality to it yeah he talks about uh, the way in which freddie stands you know he based it on james cagney you know in white heat you know that that sort of slightly slouch stance excellent pick yeah yeah um and yeah, that, like, once again, I'm going back to the thing about him being in shadow because he's—you don't really see his face. You do, and you don't, and it's there in bits and pieces. So he hasn't really got a massive amount to work with. No, it's all kind of about almost like the silhouette thing. So <clears throat> when they were getting, they were trying to figure out like the the look, so the red and green jumper and all of yeah. that kind of stuff. And they were trying all these silly hats on him, like a cap and stuff, and then having him bald and this, that, and the other. And I think he – they had the fedora, first of all, because it it went back to something that Wes Craven had experienced this guy at when he was a kid. Um, This guy outside his window wearing a fedora who he thought was going to get in the house. And it frightened the crap out of him, so he always had that image. So – Robert England's trying the fedora and they're like, mm, no, try this one, try that one. And he's like, no, wait, 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 stop. So he put the fedora on and he said, just look at me, just look at my silhouette, look at my shadow against the wall with the claw and the, and you, and obviously I, I couldn't see that when I'm reading about that. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. Yeah. With the hand just sticking out and the claw and the fedora and he's yeah. a quite kind of thin character. Oh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And he talked about, he, Robert England talks about sort of, um, Klaus Kinski in Nosferatu having the mm. long nails and yeah. that was his inspiration for the way in which he would hold his hand yeah yeah because it's always kind of out isn't it yeah. yeah I can see that I can see that yeah you know and and this is the thing isn't it you know 
you know, when you look at, you know, I think by 1984, I think it's fair to say that the slasher genre was was firmly established. Mm. You know, it, it's firmly there. The ru- the ground rules for the genre are there. But A Nightmare on Elm Street just takes that idea and, you know, takes away the sort of, yes, there's a physical threat there, but, you know, this, you know the, this is a psychological threat because, you know, Freddy's able to sort of prey on his victims when they're at their most vulnerable. Mm. You know, yeah, they, yeah. and you need a certain type of actor to be able to do that. Because, I mean, whenever you see, you know, particularly Jason, when you get into the sort of the Kane Hodder era and those type of things, mm-hmm. he's a ma- he's a tank. Yeah. The man is a, he's a, you know, he's a big, big guy. And, you know, even Michael Myers is a, you know, even the Nick Castle movies, you know, he's a tall, imposing, rangy guy. Yeah. But Freddy isn't, you know, and you, I mean, a really, really good example of that is, you know, the, um, the way in which, you know, just before Tina dies, and we'll come, you know, we'll cover this in a little bit, you know, mm. go into it a bit more. That's, you know, when they've got the latex, you know, when he comes out through the wall. Yeah, I love that. Brilliant. And, yeah. You know, Jim Doyle came up with that effect on the day of shooting because they were trying lots of different things and it wasn't working. So he went and got like um, spandex and just stretched it out. And that's all it is. It's just a piece of material that is stretched out. And he sort of, and he just pushed, and you know, England just pushed his entire frame into it, and it's so effective. It is so effective, and it, and it looks like you know special effects, almost like CGI before yes. CGI, obviously. Yes, it's a brilliant, yeah, it's a brilliant effect. But it's interesting what you're what you're talking about about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, how it differs from, <clears throat> excuse me, from uh, other slasher films. So I was thinking about this before, and I was thinking, you know, Halloween which we chatted about a couple of months ago, um, he's kind of, he's driven, he's kind of, Michael Myers, like, driven by urges. It's, like, um, quite primal. Yes. Uh, um, And, you know, whether it's vaguely sexual, whether it's hormones, rage, whatever it is, because he's still quite a young person in the first one. Yeah. Um, And Jason seems to be more kind of instinctive. His pattern of killing is based on instinct. It's not... Anger, no. it's just that's what he does. He's a killing machine. Another on Elm Street is definitely more cerebral than the two because it kind of, as you say, it kind of taps into fear and lack of control and the subconscious and the guilt specifically from the parents and yes. so on and so forth. It's just, it, it's a level above those two cerebrally, I think. It's a more, he's yeah. a more interesting character before he became, funnily enough, he, as Freddie became more cartoonish, I actually think, um, what am I trying to say? Friday, uh, Friday the Thirteenth became more interesting because it tried to do different things. Whereas, yes. I, yeah, Nightmare Street became kind of cartoony. But in the in the early films, certainly the first one to three, let's yes. say, um, it was definitely you know more into that. It was more, it, yeah, intellectually. I think it was a they oh, were best films. Yeah, and and that's completely written all over the film. I mean, the fact that you know it 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 I think. It's fair to say it successfully co- combines horror. There's bits of humour in there, sure. um, gothic literature. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was, you know, I was sat down thinking about it, and it kind of feels like the sort of, you know, if um, if you got H.P. Lovecraft, uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, and Shakespeare, and you got them together to write a horror film. 
Mm. You know, because it fits all of these sort of, you know, these classic gothic nightmare elements to it. You've got the confusion, you've got the mental breakdowns, you've got the idea of psychosis, you know, and you've got... um, Oh, shit. Name's completely forgotten me. I meant to write this down in my notes. Hang on. That's it. David Pyre. David Pyre um, wrote... There's a brilliant book by the BFI. It's a compendium of gothic horror. Okay. And he writes a chapter in there about the princes of darkness. And he describes... um, Kruger as a prince of darkness. He's a classically gothic prince of darkness. And he's, I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase now. So if I get this completely wrong, please do not, you know, flay me alive. <laughs> but he, he sort of describes him, you know, he's got the appearance of like an ogre. Yeah. But his energy and this like sort of demonic cruelty that he has gives him this sort of, and you know, you know, he's got this, this, this supernatural f- aspiration to it, you know, where he's saying, I am God. You know, and it, yeah. it, it sort of, it just fits in so well with that idea of, you know, dreams and it's very, very clever. It, you know, yeah. and, and dreams are fascinating anyway. And, you know, the, the particularly the, you know, the scenes where, um, you know, we'll come on to it now. Um, you know, you look at the, you know, the scenes where Tina shows back up after her death. That's my favorite scene in the entire, the body bag scene. Yes. Yeah, it's that's it's the first time where you get that kind of um, the paradox, that kind of like, are you awake or are you asleep? And you're not quite sure. And yeah. it's that th- I mean, that's the theme that they they continue to use, and it becomes kind of easier, simpler to discern between the two. But that's the first yeah. time it's used, and it's really creepy. Yeah, oh, and it's kind of it's exhausting because you start to try as you watch the film, you're starting to try and figure it out and you're like are they awake are they asleep and you're kind of on edge for the rest of the film because you don't know if it's a dream sequence or not and he's going to show up yeah i love it there are a number of scenes in this film that when i was younger i think it's fair to say absolutely fucked me up (laughs) the first time i watched it and this is one of them you know and you've got because tina's death itself um you know the famous in the you know the room scene you know you know it's, it's 13 minutes into the film yeah, Our no. First kill is thirty yeah. minutes into the film. I, I made that note as well. I was like, this film wastes no time because it starts obviously with a nightmare sequence. Yes, yeah. And fifteen minutes later, she's dead. It's like yeah. whoa. Yeah. And it's that and sort it, of almost sort of uh, Hitchcockian uh, switcheroo yeah. because you yeah. think, oh Tina, this is going to be our lead character. Uh-huh. And then it's like, oh shit, no, no, she's not, not at all, not at no. all. I mean. Her mother's interesting. Uh, Ray Blakely. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's, it, see, I'd read about this as well. Um, I've mentioned to you before, there's a really good book called Never Sleep Again by uh, Tommy Hudson, which is about the making of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And they talk about her in there and they say that, yes, you know, it's it's been regarded as kind of an over-the-top performance and so on and so forth. But in her defense she's like a raging alcoholic with a guilty conscience um and there's that kind of hints of whatever happened to baby jane and the kind of over the behavior i'm like okay do you know what before i was like she's awful but i I kind of get it and then i thought oh actually to be fair she was also nominated for an oscar for nashville like nine years before or something see that blew my mind when i wrote it yeah 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 
Yeah, so I'm like, you know, it's 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 easy to be kind of dismissive and it is over the top and perhaps it was maybe edging on the side of uh, campy, but yeah, I, I can see what she was aiming for. Whether she pulled it off or not is for someone else. To yeah. Decide. Now, Tina's death, yeah, where you know, she, you know, obviously yeah. she she broke one of the rules. She broke she one did. of the rules. She, she had did. sex. She That's did. it. Mm-hmm. Your brown bread, love. You, Unfortunately, that... yes. And it's interesting, though. See, uh, the thing, sorry, just to button again, but um, the thing with them having sex is I don't think, you know, usually it's like a kind of slutty character. Yeah. I didn't see her as that at all. I just no, saw her as, they're just a young couple doing what young couples do. Yes, um, yes. I mean, I know that's kind of a, a trope that, you know, you have sex, you die and all of that kind of stuff. But it's definitely, that's another example of it being kind of a, a bit of a level above because, you know, often there's there's these fodder characters and I didn't see her as fodder. And like you say, there's that no. kind of, um, you're kind of blindsided because you think she's the main character. Well, yes. Of course she and I mean, that room itself, it, and I mean, this is, you know, that scene where she is on the wall mm. and, and on the ceiling and she's, yep. being, and she's being torn to pieces. There's yep. a lot of blood. There is. I think yep. they use something like 80 gallons. <laughs> Yikes. 80 <laughs> gallons. I want to know how much they use for Johnny Depp's then. Well, actually, I'm, <laughs> last, <laughs> on, on the It Follows episode... Um, mm. There's a brilliant moment where Leighton has an exasperated sigh where I tell him a maths related <laughs> fact. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> <laughs> yes. the, uh, now, this, this, I do love a numbers fact. Mm-hmm. They used 80 gallons of blood uh, for Tina's death. For Johnny Depp, for that scene, they used 500 gallons of, of blood and water. They use so much soap because they use the same set. Yeah. The set for Tina's death and the set for um, is it no is is it what's his is it Glenn? Glenn. He's yeah. Glenn, isn't he? Yeah. And, mm. and uh, death for Glenn. See, even his mm. name is irritating in this film. Yeah. And sorry, you know I'm sorry if any Glens out there. I'm sure you're sure. all very very lovely. Sorry, Glenn. But if you're wearing a crop top and you have a bouffon, you, you deserve to be sucked into your bed. Yeah. And he was nearly played by Jackie Earl Haley, who went on to play Freddie years later. He was up for the part as well, which I thought was fascinating. That would have been so creepy. <laughs> I know. Like, uh, it's, yeah. Jackie... He must have gone out there and gone, right, I'll be back for you later. Yeah. I, don't give me this part. Fine. I'll bury your franchise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I thought he was okay. I hated the film. I didn't think he was that bad. I mean, in terms of choices for Freddie... You know, he is, I think he's ideal. He is yeah. ideal. What he needs is a proper script and a better director and a better bunch of actors around him. Yeah. He needs yeah. a better film. He needs a better yeah. film. I think the guy, I can't remember, I, I was listening to, I think it's Shockwave's podcast, which is really good, by the way. Um, and they have a lot of directors on it. And I think they were talking, the guy from Platinum Dunes who distributed or produced yes. or whatever. And I think the guy they got to direct really, really didn't want to do it. And they begged him and begged him and begged him and begged him. And eventually he said yes. So it's kind of no surprise uh, it turned out the way it did. I don't understand why people do it. I don't understand why they do it. If a filmmaker says, look, I really don't want to do it. I'm not into it. Yeah, they're not yeah. going to get the best job. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, he's, he's great. He's such a great director. 
give him a job that he wants to do then get someone in who's passionate about it yeah i think their argument was like if you love it too much you can't see you know like where you're going wrong with it or you you can't be critical about what yeah. you're doing so yeah. so it's like, uh, sort of, but... How's that yeah. worked out for them? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, like, that, the revolving scene, you know, for, for Tina's death, where she's up against there and the blood is everywhere and she's getting ripped apart, it is unbelievable that the fact that they could, you know, this room is on axles and this mm. is a practical effect and they would just yep. turn it round and yep. she would be, you know, and they would be holding her against the wall to get the shot that they needed. It's an incre- And it's an incredible piece of acting. Uh, it's a brilliant scene, and and that's it's another thumbs up for practical effects because that would be CGI to shit nowadays. Oh my, yeah, yeah. And it, and it doesn't. I, you know, I, we've both watched it very recently, and I, the, I don't see the seams. I, you know, if she's being hung up by a harness. I couldn't see it. No, no. Um, I wasn't looking for it to be honest. I was just in the moment, but it's a fantastic scene, and it's really harrowing as well, and it's bloody, and yes. it's vicious and it's terrifying yes. it's, it's a fantastic scene yeah and i mean and then you we go from that into the school scene mm-hmm. where she you know where nancy drifts off and you don't know whether she's awake or she's asleep and then the body bag mm-hmm. appears um and all of this is done and this is and i mean again this is a big tick for, i'm a, you know my myself and my wife we are big uh, fans of shakespeare Mm-hmm. Um, we go as, we go and see as much open air as we can. Um, I've been really, really fortunate that I've been able to perform in Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, you know, and it, the scene where they start looking, because they're reading from um, Julius Caesar. Mm. And I mean, what's interesting, of course, and I mean, Wes Craven is very, very, you know, he's an English literature um, sure. professor. Yeah. Um, is that... Shakespeare is obsessed with dreams. Throughout his work, he is completely obsessed with dreams. Um, you know, I mean, it's it sort of, you know, the, you're famously, you've got, you know, Prospero from The Tempest saying, we are such stuff as dreams are made on and our li- little life is rounded with a sleep. Um, you've got Macbeth is littered with dream, um, dream, you know, dream terminology, you know, and he talks about, you know, but in here... You've got the line from Julius Caesar where he says, I dreamt tonight that I did feast with Caesar and things unlucky changed my fantasy. I have no will to wander forth and doors yet something leads me forth. It's that idea of being propelled in your dream that you can't mm. control it. And then he goes into Hamlet. And again, Hamlet is a play that, you know, again, he's, you know, he's, he, you know, dreams are a huge thing in there. And, he, you know, he sort of, he, he says, in the most high and palmy state of Rome, a little am, the mightiest Julius fell. The grave stood tenterless, and the sheeted dead did squeak and gibber in the Roman streets. <laughs> it's a, it's it sheeted dead, and then the body bag is there. Yeah, yeah, and there's some lovely parallels there with Halloween as well. Oh yeah, where, yeah. where Lonnie Strode's sitting in class, and they're yes. talking about fate with, um, and we spoke about this yeah, before. Yeah. Talking about fate, and Michael Myers is sitting outside, and I was thinking that at the time, there's there's some parallels there, but. When your your uh, quotes from um, Julius Caesar, etc., it's just like, ah, oh, yeah, I kind of get that now. I was listening in at the time, but I'm writing notes, so I didn't take in what they were. Talk- I saw it was Julius. I heard it was Julius Caesar. Yeah. But I wasn't listening to the um, the words. Um, but yeah, the parallels are excellent. That's really fascinating. Yeah. And and, she, and you know when Tina appears and she's gibbering, it's yeah. really unnerving. Oh, it's yeah. I remember seeing that. That was 
obviously, like I said, I saw the first one and then went back and sorry, saw the third one, then second, then first. And the first one, third one, I was like, oh yeah, this is fun. Second one, I don't really understand. The first one I saw that I was like, this is terrifying and used it's a horrible yeah. image yeah and then when you go back and because the guy who is the, the pupil do you, do you know who the pupil was who was reading from the text i do you know what i was looking at him and thinking i recognize you i, I know lynn shay's the teacher it's but don hannah it's uh, daryl hannah's brother ah uh, do they look the same because yes, i remember looking same, at him and oh, okay right yeah okay. they, they kind of got like that point oh, sounds awful yeah that domey type head <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> look, I got a head like a football. It, I've got absolutely no problem with you know anybody. You know, but no, I remember looking at him and thinking I should look him up after and see who he is. Yeah, and and then he switches yeah. halfway through. They talk up the like you said. He goes from Shakespeare. He goes from mm. Caesar. He goes yeah. to Hamlet. And then as the body bag is there, um, he says, "Oh, you know," he starts reading and he starts whispering it. And he says, mm. "Oh God, I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself a king of infinite space." Were it not that I have bad dreams, oh, that's that, <laughs> that's just. And then she follows the body bag and the snail trail of the blood. That's right, yeah, yeah. And the legs. And he's kind of whispering that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Whispering drone and yeah. And then he goes and and there's that uh, the girl with no running in the hall wearing the Freddy um, the green and red. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the blood trail and, I, and there's that. Um, where she comes out of the, of the doorway and you see her legs go up and then she's being dragged around the yeah. corner. The body, oh, it's brilliant scene, brilliant. You know, and it, it and it's things like that that, obvi- you know, I don't think people give Wes Craven enough credit for being a great director. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. see the blood, they see the gore, they see the sex, they see the violence, they jump to scream. Um, the Scream movies, and they go, oh, where's Craven? Oh, the Scream movie. But actually, he is a very, very clever, intelligent yeah. director. Yeah. Um, and I don't yeah, think... And, don't and he wrote this, credit. bear in mind, you know, it's not... It's, he, he wasn't... Like, to be fair with Scream, he was a director for hire for those. Yes. Because of Kevin Williams and then Aaron Kruger, I think, for the third one, and then the fourth one, I can't remember if he... Kevin Williamson came back for that, but... Um, Nightmare on Elm Street, that's his. That's his baby, the whole film. It's all his. So, yes. Yeah, it's a really, really good film. And I, when when we said about doing this, I hadn't watched it in quite a while. So it was nice to kind of go back and watch it fresh. And it's, you know, in terms of cinematography and lighting and colour. Lighting is stunning. It's stunning. It's stunning. Yeah, you know, I think I posted something on Twitter, just an image of Nancy coming around the corner at night, and it's just an alleyway, and it could have just looked like a black alleyway, but it's beautifully lit. It's really eerie. And the set Fantastic. dressing. Yeah. The set dressing. You know, the, the boiler room is actually, um, was a prison. Uh, mm. There were no inmates at the time. It was a closed-down prison. But the set dressing in there and the lighting, it gives this, like, sort of, almost, like, industrialised vision yeah. of hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, just, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And I mean, the other person who doesn't get enough credit is Charles Bernstein, um, who uh, who wrote the score yeah. for this. It's just, it, and it, you know, to be, I think Wes Craven talks about in the commentary that he worked for Peanuts mm. on it. He didn't get paid anywhere near what he deserved. Um, and it's, it's, you know, he and he, the, him and Wes Craven came up with the one, two, three, mm. come. Th- that 
is bloody children That's are the stuff ch- of nightmares. Children are freaky. <laughs> children are yeah. bloody yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know you're a father. Um, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, I work with them. That's enough for birth. You know, that's the best reason for birth that control they, yeah. ever. I've, I've got two, and they they terrify me. So uh, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Because <laughs> kids, honestly, there's nothing scarier than being in bed at night and your son coming in, just coming up to the bed and saying, "Dad," because <laughs> they're trying to be quiet. They're just trying to wake you up because they've got a headache or something. And I shit myself every time. <laughs> well, as a kid, I used to sleepwalk. Oh, no, right. I, I used to sleepwalk and uh, my wife as well she used to sleepwalk um, but I would go around the house and turn all the lights on and then go back to bed <laughs> or oh, here's yeah. the bit right now my mother is a black belt third dan in judo uh-huh. she's hard as nails not gonna lie she's hard <laughs> as nails I used to have a habit of in my sleep and you know single mother just me and her in the house uh-huh. Uh, she would wake up and I'd be just stood over her. Yeah, that's... The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think my sister used to do that. I think my sister used oh to do that with, with my mum. And it's I just... <sighs> yeah. I mean, anyone standing over you is terrifying. Don't get me wrong. But a child standing over <laughs> you is a picture of innocence. Yeah. Just... Right. With a malevolent look on their face. Yeah. No, yeah. No, just crazy. Right. Just crazy, but yeah, that, but that chant—it's so simple, mm. but yet it's so effective. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, just out of interest, I don't know if you know, did Charles Bernstein score? Was that used in every film? I, off the top of my head, I have no idea. I don't know whether they went. They, um, I mean, I know with the Jaws series, it was John Williams for the first two, and then someone else took it on and did a different version, and so on and so forth. I th- but I don't know whether he, I, it was his. I think he did the first three. And then after that, then it was variants on it. Okay, fair enough. If anybody's listening out there, please come back and correct me. I'm pre- but yeah. I'm pretty sure he did sort of, you know, I mean, bizarrely, in several of the early shots in uh, Freddy's Revenge, it's not Robert England. It's a uh, double. It's a he, double. Yeah. Uh, because they didn't know whether he, he he didn't know whether or not he wanted to come back and do it, mm, um, and it just wasn't working. So they had so mm. they brought him back. Um, that's very interesting. But they said again, it doesn't feel, and you, and you can tell that, can't no, you? you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I can tell when it's not the original. You know, when there's, it's like the jigsaw with a piece missing. Hmm. He did some. I mean, Wes Craven did some really interesting things with that. It's like one of the only. I noticed this. So the scene, you know, the famous scene in the bath with the hand coming up. Yes. When he pulls her under, I she's com- she completely nude as you would be in the bath. But yeah. I thought that was really interesting and weird because. It's obviously not sexualized in any way, but no. for the final girl to be shown naked at all is such a kind of. It just. It's almost as if he's saying, "Nothing is what you think it is." No, so, uh, well, you know, and everything's a kind of rug ball all the way through, isn't it? Yeah, for and I mean, she's not actually. Picture. Heather Langenkamp isn't actually naked in that scene. She's not in it. When she That's gets pulled fair. underneath, <laughs> it's Jim Doyle's wife. Oh, okay. And they shot that scene. Um, in one of the um, makeup effects guys' swimming pool. Mm, mm. And it was shot after the rap party. <laughs> and everybody was dying of horrific hangovers. Um, and literally, to get the shot, they took mm. a load of tarpaulin, mm-hmm. black, chucked it over the top of the swimming yeah. pool, and just this poor woman, they just dragged her underneath. Oh, fair enough. 
Okay, well, well, I mean, the point remains, it's still supposed to be yeah. uh, the character of Nancy. I just thought that was interesting when I watched it. I thought, that's so weird. You never the, the final girl is always completely buttoned up. Like yes. I say, it's not a sexualized scene in, by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just unusual to show the final girl in any kind of state of undress, yeah. to be fair. And I mean, um, that scene itself, mind you, the, you know, the hand that comes up is... <sighs> Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? It is. And it's <laughs> really horrible. And that was Jim Doyle. Um, yeah. And they built the set they built this set up. So he's in a wetsuit. Mm. And he's just, apparently he spent hours just there in a wetsuit and he couldn't quite get it right. Um and you know, Wes Wes Craven would say, No, too too far to the left, too far to the right, too far. Of course, yeah, he can't see what he's doing, can he? So when he's bringing his hand up, he's just trying to yeah. That's interesting. And Heather Langenkamp just sat there in freezing water. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> now, <clears throat> Mr. Mr. Jonathan Depp, mm. in terms of being a boyfriend mm-hmm. and being given one job to do in the film... <laughs> you had one job, yeah. He, he's shit. He's rubbish, isn't he? You just go, Glenn, don't fall a fucking sleep. Yeah. Okay, no problem. <laughs> And he fell asleep with a fucking great TV on him as well. <laughs> what was that all about? I don't know. It's bizarre. But he had headphones yeah. on and yeah. he was watching TV. Do you know yeah. what was really creepy? Where he admitted to his own mother that new Miss America was going to be on. <laughs> I'll just be in my room. <laughs> yeah. Hi, exactly. ma'am. And about half past 12 tonight. Don't come in. I'm going to have a quick wank. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's fine. Oh, I won't knock. He's probably just having a quick wank, and he's like, <laughs> just... <laughs> "If only she'd said, you're so filthy. Get out! What are you doing?" <laughs> oh, no. But, it, but it's, you know, he just has one job, you know. And even when, yeah, and interestingly enough, though, when he climbs to the window, um, in the first time that he's, he's supposed to stay awake, mm. obviously Craven would re- recreate that later on with yeah. Scream. Mm-hmm. Um. And Skeet Ulrich was in uh, Scream, wasn't he? That's right, yeah. Yeah, I love the line. Johnny, of, Johnny Depp Light. Yeah, I love the line in Family Guy <laughs> with Skeet Ulrich. And mm. um, who's the neighbour? Oh, God, what's his name? He had his own spin off TV show. What was his uh, name? Uh, I do know, actually. Cleveland? Uh, yeah, Cleveland. That. Cleveland. Um, okay. The black guy. Oh, right. Sorry, yeah. yes. And, and he stood there and he's face to face with Skeet Ulrich and he says. Mm. There is nothing good about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's sat, you know, all he's got to do is stay awake and he falls asleep. Yeah. He falls asleep. But the yeah. disturbing part in that is where you see Tina again and she's covered in eels and centipedes. Oh, yeah. Because you get the famous bit where it crawls out of her mouth. Comes out of her mouth, yeah. Yeah. I remember that because I think that's on the the VHS cover, the original VHS cover. I yeah. think there's a picture of it coming out of her mouth on the back. And that was another reason, you know, when I was young and I'd look on the look on the cover and go, this looks amazing. And I'll turn it over to the back. I will never watch that film. <laughs> <laughs> so that looks terrifying. Um, yeah. Mm, it, interesting. It is incredible. It is an incredible, you know, moment because obviously you get, you know, you get... You get the, you get to see the, the the sort of almost the deterioration of Tina, and then you get the dream. You know, the I guess another moment where they blur the lines between reality and dream, mm. and that, then you get the sticky staircase. 
Yeah, which is a classic kind of um, some, it's a dream trope, if that's such a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, and then you get Freddy leaping through the window. Is it the window or a mirror? Uh, God, I didn't saw it the other day. I'm going to say a mirror, but I, I'm not 100% certain off the top of my head. It's a, now, that scene Whatever. itself yeah. had some controversy. Mm. Because uh, Robert Shea, the producer... Yeah. claims that he directed that scene and came up with the idea. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, I can't imagine him directing. I can imagine him coming up with the idea, absolutely, but I can't imagine him directing. That doesn't make any sense, unless Wes Craven was off doing something else and well, left second unit to do it or something. I don't know. On, the, on the commentary, Wes Craven mm. handles it really, really well. And okay. he says, this is the scene that allegedly Rob Shea directed um, but he was on set and I called action and I called cut and he was behind the camera alright so I thought that was well played but they yeah. used oatmeal for the steps oh that makes sense because that shit is sticky yeah that's just like Ugh. yeah but you know but again it, it all feeds into that dream like feel to it yeah, doesn't yeah. it yeah, something I found really strange. You might be able to make sense of this because I, I couldn't. It was only after I was thinking about it. Bearing in mind, the parents are aware of what happened years before, and at some point, the mum explains what had happened. Why, if this character potentially has come back, even though they're not quite sure and they, they don't quite believe Nancy, why would they put bars on the windows? and kind of almost knowingly send her to her death because she can't escape. Yeah. I mean, it is the problem when your mother's a pisshead, though. Mm, yeah, that was my... <laughs> that's kind of the... <laughs> that's, that's the answer. I came to I was like, so she was drunk. She went, yeah, 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 bars on all of them. Yeah. yeah. Keep, keep us all safe. And then, yeah. Anyone... Yeah. I want to be able to break in when I'm, yeah, rat-assed and rolling about on the floor. <laughs> okay, fine. All right. I just... I, I was just... I don't... Mm, I didn't get that. But, but okay. it feeds into the idea, isn't it, of the sort of adults are useless motif. Yeah. you know, all the adults... Um, you know, the adults do about everything is that they, they're just completely unhelpful um yeah. you know even I suppose they think yeah they think they're trying to protect them but eventually uh, the sins of the parents are visited upon the children yeah yeah and again that's a theme it's a theme within the film isn't it that mm. they sort of you know the it, the parents caused the you know it, the sins of the father type thing yeah you know yeah. and why would you keep evidence in your house it's bizarre. Yeah, there's some. There, are, I mean, there must have been a reason. Like, like Wes Craven, you know, very intelligent guy. There must have been a, a reason for it. But there's a couple of couple of issues I have with uh, certain ideas. Um, that, for example, and yeah. the bars on the window. Yeah. But you know, them, uh, you know, what do I know? He knows better than I do. <laughs> but, it, but it is that sort of. Hmm. My mm. child might be being attacked in her sleep, and we may need to wake up and get out of the house. Yes. No, we'll just barricade ourselves in. It'll be Hooray! fine. Everything yeah. will work out. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, I think one of my favourite moments, and I used to really like it, probably mm. more so when I was a kid, is when Nancy goes full on a team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it's kind of it's that I thought that was interesting because she, 
usually what happens with the final girl is they kind of lie in wait and they're reactive, but she's really proactive. She's like, yes. booby traps. I'm going to get you. I'm going to come for you instead. And that's to me kind of, she's top three best final girls for that. Cause she is, as I said earlier, badass. Yes. She's really like, yeah, she goes for him. She's like, that's it. I'm going to take you down. Yeah. And I mean the, um, some of the traps that they set are actually taken out of the anarchist cookbook. That I didn't know, and yeah. I love that. They're taken straight out of the anarchist. The one, the gunpowder and the light bulb. Mm-hmm. And the sledgehammer above the door. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that actually does make sense now. Yeah. The sledgehammer above the door does feel a bit sort of Roadrunner-esque. Mm-hmm. It just needed that. If it had gone and gone... After it hit him. <laughs> yeah. But it looks so painful. Yeah, but- yeah, oh god, yeah. Who'd want to get hit in the gut by a sledgehammer? <laughs> no, <it's> just... <laughs> yeah, and I mean, they, they, like I said, took them from, uh, straight from there. And the, the mm-hmm. traps book that she's reading, mm-hmm. um, when they, her and uh, Glenn are having a, you know, they're just sort of having a conversation on top of the bridge. Mm-hmm. That's a mm-hmm. that's a real um, that's a book that they found in a army and navy store. Uh, ah. So, you know, people could go out, you know, I mean, it is America, um, uh-huh. and they do have, you know, they have easier access to certain things. Now, they can really? go to a store and buy, you know, books on booby trapping and, you know, as Happy you do. Days. Great. Yeah. Everyone's a winner. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it is just, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that I really love about that character. It uh-huh. is one of those things that I love about the, her character. And it, 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 that, it, uh-huh. you can forgive some of the clunkiness with some of her lines and some of the acting. Yeah. And, you know, by this time she's got like that kind of gray streak in her hair where she's not yeah. sleeping and she's stressed and she's, you know, and she just, she makes a decision that she's not going to kind of face it literally lying down as in a sleep. Yes. So yeah, I, I love that. I love that. It's a really good idea to have her just, I'm going to get you. You're not going to get me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's something I only found out, and this is literally because obviously I've been, you know, done a bit of research, been watching it. The doctor at the sleep clinic. Mm. Do you know who that is? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. It's Charles Fleischer. Charles Fleischer is the voice of Roger Rabbit. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. That's Roger Rabbit. Okay, fair enough. Roger Rabbit. It, no wonder that girl was fucked. She had Roger Rabbit <laughs> ne- <laughs> keeping an eye on her sleep pattern. Yeah. Well, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> it just amazed me that, you know, that Charles Fleischer was... And I didn't even know this, but then you just think, my God, that's Roger Rabbit. Really? I saw that in the cinema showing my age. I saw that in the cinema. I, and I, I, I happily admit I still really enjoy that film now. I've not seen it in probably 15, 20 years. Bob Hoskins is amazing in it. Yeah, yeah. As is Christopher Lloyd. Yes. Uh, he's, yeah, he's horrible in that, actually. Yeah, he is. He's terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. He, he is nightmare-inducing, to be fair. Yeah. <clears throat> no. Yeah. We've got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. The ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it, it, 
I've, I'm not certain about this. I've not read into it at all, um, or I may have done years ago and I've forgotten, but it definitely feels tacked on um, with a view to a sequel in mind, and it is, uh, yeah, it's well, either a blow-up doll or a mannequin. It's yes, just, yeah. yes. It's, it's what they call a Gannix ending. Uh-huh. A Gannix ending is, and, you know, forgive me if I'm preaching to the choir, is an ending... Um, that doesn't make any sense or does make sense, but is hidden under enough sort of mind screwing stuff to oh. have an easy explanation, which usually means that it's been tacked on so that they can have a sequel. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit like, oh, it was all a dream. And then, of course, no, it's not. It's a nightmare and it's still happening. Uh, it does. I mean, I'm not against the whole idea of everyone being back and everything being happy. And then this really horrific thing happening right at the end. It's what actually happens right at the end. Yeah. It's the problem that she gets sucked through this tiny window. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, huh? I mean, in the cinema, I'm not sure whether I would have jumped out of my skin or pissed myself laughing yeah. i imagine i would probably have jumped out of my skin to be fair the first time i saw it because it's so quick yeah and i didn't have the benefit of having you know being able to rewind it and watch it again and again so perhaps the first time you see it it's like shit what the hell was that and then yeah. you know, but yeah with the benefit of dvd blu-ray and whatnot and being able to pause it rewind it and laugh at it doesn't and, get any better does it no, it doesn't. That effect doesn't get any better. No, because... And I was waiting for that the whole time. <laughs> I was watching the film that moment. Does it work or is it really as bad as I remember? Is it no, it's shit. As... Yeah. It's yep, shit. that's shocking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's the feet. It's the yeah. way the feet bend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of um, when Burt Reynolds was filming Deliverance. Mm. I know the scene where it goes over the waterfall. Yeah. Well, that's actually Burt Reynolds going over the waterfall. Um, because the first time round, they put a mannequin going over the fountain. Yeah. Over the fountain, the waterfall. Never, yeah, and it falls at a different rate, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not be, uh, yeah. And so Burt Reynolds turned around and said, that, that looks awful, I'm going to do it. So they were like, you're not going to, you know, this is a real waterfall, you could get killed. He said, no, I'm going to do it. I'm Burt Reynolds. I'm Burt Reynolds, the water will bend to my will. Yeah. So he goes over the waterfall, ends up breaking four of his ribs and gets a concussion. And uh, he's sort of, he gets dragged out of the water, half drowned. Uh, and he says to John Borman, he says, you know, how does it look? And John Borman replies, like a dummy going over a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kill you when my ribs have healed. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you seen the alternative endings to this? <clears throat> I have not. No, I've never seen anything but the original version. Oh, God, the alternative endings are brilliant. They are, they are wonderful. <laughs> There is a. They're on the Blu-ray. They are. They're on the Blu-ray. They are, they are oh, on the Blu-ray. Okay. I've had the Blu-ray forever, and it's the first time I've watched it was this week, and I've not watched any of the extras at all. Okay, I will investigate those. It is. You have got a happy, 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 happy ending, right. where all is good, and they drive off as one big teen movie gang. Yay! Yay! Air jump, fist punch. Yeah, that's how it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, with the you know with Nancy's mother you know even though she's saying I'm not going to drink anymore clearly looking absolutely hammered <laughs> I'm not going to drink anymore until you're at school and they're on the corner <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. and, <laughs> and then they've got the, the the Uber Freddy ending right and this ending was shot at the behest of uh, Robert Shea again 
Okay. So you get, uh, they get in the, you know, they, they, they're there, they jump in the car, the, 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 the Freddy roof drops down, the, you know, the Freddy starts taking over the car, the rubber doll gets pulled through the window, and then they turn back, and Freddy's driving the car. Right. And then drives off. Okay. All right. So the compromise was yeah. the rubber doll getting pulled through the yeah. window. Do you know what, though? Thinking about it, I kind of like the rubber doll, even though it's <laughs> awful. It's kind of like everyone knows of that part of the film. And you kind of almost, it's funny, but you sort of almost cheer it. Yeah. It's, it's dreadful, but in it's kind of... It's dreadful, but it's yours. But it's the, cozy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beca- but then it does kind of fit in with the whole dream thing because you got the idea of, yeah. you know, yeah, was the whole film a dream? Did Nancy ever escape into the world? Was it part of a dream? Is her mother dreaming? Was it just Ish. a regular nightmare? Is um, his mama blow up doll? Yeah, or I mean, her mama. you get, you get yeah. that, and but then like you get Freddy's revenge, and they find the diary. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, where Nancy describes her friends being killed and says that her mother killed herself. Mm. Mm. So it can, you know, so it's the idea that, you know, it's... Maybe the whole thing is, a, yeah. You know, maybe that. And then Nancy shows up in Dream Warriors. That's right, yeah. Um, to talk to the... And you just think, okay, so it was a dream, Freddie. It was, it was her mother's dream. Hooray! Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, in theory, it could have been <laughs> off the punch. Her mum was off her tits most of the time. So, yeah. 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 So, you know, it just sort of, there we go. It worked. Yeah. My other b- moment I love um, in this film, where the lines between um, reality and dream sort of clearly are blurred, uh, where she says, Glenn, are you awake? And then he pops her on the bush and says, Yeah, I'm here. Oh, <laughs> where she goes outside for the first yeah. time. She's walking along at night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Clearly you're not awake. You Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Have we, you know, I, we've been, we've covered a fair amount of ground. I think so. We I think I've yeah, most of my notes have been noted. So yeah. <laughs> What have we missed? Have we missed anything? Is there um, anything that you've got that you need to, we need to expunge? I mean, there's some stuff about how the the actual creation of Freddy, where that comes from, from uh, Wes Craven, is quite interesting. Oh. I could just go over that quickly if you lay, like. Lay it on me, brother. Okay. Lay it on so, me. So the name Freddy um, came from a boy at school who beat uh, Wes Craven up. And Kruger was an extension of the character from The Last House on the left. Yeah. Um, but he also thought Kruger sounded German, discovered that um, it was a name attached to a high-ranking SS official called, and I'm going to completely butcher the name, Friedrich Wilhelm uh, Kruger. He was largely responsible for a number of war crimes and played uh, quite a big part in the Holocaust. Um, and also, one night, this, I mentioned this vaguely earlier or briefly earlier, uh, one night Craig, uh, Craven, I keep calling him Craven, uh, <laughs> Craven heard feet outside uh, the place they were staying. His dad had died years before, and he looked outside and he saw a man in an overcoat and a fedora um, who was looking right at him, and it scared the crap out of him. And he would. jumped. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's, he's a kid at the time. And he jumped back and he peeked together and the man was walking away and kept looking back over his shoulder until it became clear that the man was looking for a way in. 
Um, now, bear in mind, his dad being dead a long time before, so he asked his brother, and his brother went downstairs with a baseball bat, and the man was gone. And they all thought that he'd imagined it, but he swore he never imagined he, he um, didn't imagine it at all. Um, and he also said that his memories of his dad were fear-based, and it kind of probably informed his feelings as he created Freddy. Mm. And Robert England had said that. Wes Craven called Freddy the bastard father of us all and a monster of the contemporary broken home of America. Ooh, that's deep. Yeah. That's, that's deep. Yeah. So, yeah, very interesting. I don't, when I was reading that, I was like, okay, I can see how all of these different threads inform the character and the film. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. That's, yeah. That, that, Wes Craven, like I said, just does not get enough credit. Yeah, you know, because all of his films are, you know, they, they make they do make a comment. I mean, yeah. not all of his films. I think that you know, I think the majority of his films do make a comment. I think you know, obviously, like Wishmaster, Et al. <laughs> yes. Anything with produced by Wes Craven. Yeah, not so much. Not yeah. so much. Not no. so much. No. But uh, yeah. <laughs> the the other thing I'll just say this one last thing. And the other thing was that Freddie stood. For the savage side of male adulthood, he was the ultimate bad father. Childhood and innocence is hated, and it's attacked and exploited as Freddy tries to snuff it out. I'm like, oh, yeah, yes. yeah. You can see yeah. all of that. Yeah, no, the very other, interesting. Yeah, yeah it, it's fascinating. It is, and the creation of that character is fascinating. But originally, he was going to be a child molester as well, wouldn't he? That's right. Yeah. Just to make him um, just that little bit more evil. He was, yeah. The reason they took it out, if I can find this in my notes somewhere, and I'm not going to be able to find it now in my sort of law. Um, there was a, oh, there was a trial around the same time called uh-huh. the McMartin trial, and it was about institutional and systematic child abuse um, at a daycare centre. And as it turned out, I think it ended up being a fabrication, and it went on and on over that time. And so he was a child abuser, but they switched it to child killer because they didn't want to come, obviously. With that being this massive thing in the press in the U.S. at the time, it was just like, this is not a good idea. So they switched it to child killer. So he was originally a child abuser. Yeah. Yeah. It, doesn't make, it, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like, there aren't, I don't know if in history there are any child killers there tends to be kind of like a sexual connotations whenever there's this kind of, you know, a, an adult preying on a child. So, yeah, it, it kind of didn't ever make sense to me. But in hindsight, I'm like, OK, I totally see that now. Yeah. 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 I mean, here's, here's the crunch bit. Here's the, the, moment, the crunch moment for us. Okay. Where do we come in on scores for this one? Uh, well... It's interesting because when we were talking about Halloween, I think I gave that a 9.5. Yeah. However, I, this, particularly this first film, um, for nostalgic reasons as much as anything, being the first kind of big horror franchise that I was into, and I was kind of mildly obsessed, to be honest, with with (laughs) Freddie back then, um, it would be hard for me to rate this below halloween i think actually i should probably change my halloween rating to nine but you know i've given it 9.5 so i'm going to put it i'm going to give it parity with halloween 9.5 uh yeah which is really high but i just think it's above it's another one of those that's that's a level above yeah 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 and i think it would be unfair as much as halloween is a 
you know, started it. I think this is kind of the, um, almost like the, the, the coda of that kind of era from yeah. 78 to 84. Yes. And it's yes. a really good way of kind of, uh, putting a full stop at the end of that. Um, and yeah, I'd probably give it a nine to be fair, but I just feel bad about giving it a nine if I've given Halloween 9.5. So, <laughs> no. so I mean, I come in on this one. Um, I've got lots of, like I said, that, that seeing that poster, mm-hmm. um, seeing the, the VHS cover, yep. um, be, you know, finally plucking up the courage. Um, I love the fact though, that even though this was clearly an 18, Mm. And I was not 18 at the time, being about mm-hmm. sort of eight or 10, I think, probably by the time yeah. I, the, I was still served without any questions asked. Yeah, it's weird that, isn't it? It's I, funny. Yeah, it just wasn't, yeah, it was like, oh, well, you look at, you look like you'll be 18 one day, so yeah, here you go. Yeah. How yeah. was work today? Oh, it was fine. Yeah, not bad school where I teach. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I th- I'm going to give it a nine. It's a nine. Okay. It's a nine. Okay. I, I, I feel like I've pushed you up from eight point five. No, because I flitted today between uh, a nine and a nine point five. Okay, all right. But um, I've got to give it a nine only because um, the bouffant, uh, the crop, the crop top. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I think there are a couple. There are a couple moments that go clang. Um. There are. That, that, I'll give it that. You know, and like, yeah. you know, when Heather, like, when she comes into the house mm. and she, Nancy's really pissed off with her mother and she goes, Mother! You just think, <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Yeah, I know. I, I think when I when I watched it when I was young, you don't notice all of that. No, things, no. You know? Apart from the mum going through the door at the end. I don't think you ever <laughs> noticed that. Um, but I... I you know, that, that kind of stuff I only see now, you know, with the benefit yeah. of hindsight and having watched tons and tons and tons and tons of films, you watch it again, you're like, hmm, this is not Oscar winning. But I just, I think it's it's genuinely a frightening film. Yes, it is. It is. And yeah. it's only as I've got older yeah. that actually I appreciate how frightening this film is. Yeah. And, and it takes place in like the safest place, you know, your dreams. You know, when people talk about your future, what are your dreams? It's always a positive thing. And this yes. is like, ah, this is the opposite end. And you get, you know, and even in, you know, at, you know, the ending, even for all of its sort of issues, mm. it's horror in the daylight. It's horror yeah. in the daylight. And like, yeah. um, I know Jay of the Dead on the Horror Movie Podcast talks about mm-hmm. horror in the daylight. Yeah. But we feel safe in the day. Mm-hmm. We, you know, you were coming out, you know, she's coming out of her house. And uh, her friend, her all American friends are picking her up, picking her up in their all American car. It's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. She's beaten the bad guy, and yep. then it goes downhill rapidly. Yeah, yeah. And you relax. You're like, it's the daytime. Nothing possible could happen that would be bad, or you know, worrying, terrible, yeah. whatever. It's fine. And you relax and you've spent the whole film on edge because you think of these, you know, these constant dream sequences. Is it a dream? Are yeah. they, you know, yeah. the, are they compass whatever? And then you think, okay, he's been vanquished. It's fine now. And I guess there's a tiny part of you that thinks, oh, something terrible will happen. But you think that's going to happen to the mum or something. Oh, of course it does happen to the mum, but you don't think anything's going to happen particularly, you know, and you just kind of, ah, 
shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and yeah, and I, I that's an, and obviously, you know, as I've got older, my appreciation for literature and for how clever it is and the yeah. weaving of all of these parts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an excellently written film. It is superbly directed. Yeah. It's lit beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's it, you know the fact that it's practical. You know, the one practical effect that does make me chuckle is the tongue phone. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a sick part of me would, that would actually like one of those just just for comedy value. <laughs> but, yes, yes. But it is, yeah. a, but it's yeah. a great. It, it's it's a great film, and like I said, it's a nine for me. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a it's a film of layers. That's the yes. thing, you know, when you're talking about um, the uh, the Shakespeare stuff, so on and so forth, and that stuff you've. But they're layers of the film that you haven't noticed before, and you can kind of keep peeling back. And there's always there's more layers to it, and I, that's what I really love is that you can go back to it and you can discover new things about it. And that's what's great about this sort of film or films of this ilk, where they're they're a level above. They're not just what you see on screen. There's more to it. Sir, you could not have summed that up any better. Thank you, sir. Well, as always, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on you are welcome back and we know we're coming back very very soon because yeah. uh, we're going to be talking talking <laughs> we're going to be talking folk horror talking and talking sounds fun yes <laughs> uh, could be a very interesting podcast yeah, six hours later yeah <laughs> <laughs> just me stroking the microphone um <laughs> Jay, honestly, my man, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Can't wait for you to come back on. And we're talking, like I said, we're going to be talking folk horror. Um, I think the lethal one himself, Mr. Liam mm-hmm. Jones, will be making his long-awaited return. Um, it's always great having him around because I always do feel slightly cleverer when he's about because he's so clever. He makes everybody else around him clever. Splendid. So, um, Jay, my man, thank you so much for being on. You take care. Cheers, you. No worries. Okay, as always, I want to say thank you to Jay. Absolute pleasure to have him on. Just a font of knowledge, and I'm sure he will be joining us very, very soon. Um, Of course, just to let you know, guys, Jay, you can find him, um, of course, on Twitter at Freddy French. Um, And, you know, he's a clever guy. You can also find him on Dread Central, where he's written some incredible articles or article, I'm not sure, I think he's got more than one on there, but he's really, really good writing. Um, of course, check out his own blog, his Jaws 2 uh, piece is absolutely superb, so go and check that out. Um, and of course, he contributes to VHS Revival, um, our friend CJ's uh, blog, so guys, go and check him out. He's fairly prolific, and he's very clever. So, what we got next? Well, I'll tell you what we got next. We've got... What the Wookiee Watched. And up first, we have got Nazi Dawn, also known as Dead Water from 2008. Let's check out the trailer. It's a swastika. What'd you make of all this? This is not a rescue mission. Something else is going on here. Have you ever dealt with anything like this before? Albert. Ricks. Anybody? Somebody killed McCloskey. Cease fire! 
and dying because you're scientific. Yeah. You have the most powerful weapon on the planet. It's top secret. What the fuck's going on? I can't tell you. It's a fucking ghost and it's screwing with our minds! We are leaving. So that was the trailer for Nazi Dawn, a.k.a. Dead Water from 2008. Now, this was directed by Roel René. Uh, however, he's gone as the name Rebel One on this one. Um, it was written by Ethan Wiley and, of course, by Rebel One himself. Uh, it stars Lance Henriksen, Gary Stretch, James Russo, uh, Catherine Randolph, uh, DC Douglas, Jim Hanks, Matthew Allen, Lee Mujab, and David Hudson. Uh, Got to be honest, didn't really enjoy this one. Um, the cover art for the DVD of it is far better than the film. And Lance Henriksen gives a great performance, as always, no matter what he's in. He kind of, uh, you know, he elevates in a similar way that we spoke about earlier with John Saxon. Uh, Lance Henriksen kind of elevates the rest around him. Um, Gary Stretch in the lead role here. Um, I mean, Gary Stretch, of course, started his career as a boxer and was known for his uh, title fight against uh, Chris Eubank way, way back, I think, in the 90s. Um, and he also appeared in Dead Man's Shoes. Here, um, his accent is just all over the place. Um it's just not great. It's not a great performance. Uh, I think the script really, really hinders him. Uh, James Russell pops up in a sort of uh, now you see him, now you don't cameo. Um, Catherine Randolph um, really doesn't bring too much to it. This really sort of, you know, this is your classic sort of, it would like to be um, scary. It's really, really not. Um, the uh, cast of characters aren't particularly likable. Um, the special effects, like you can, I think they blew their entire budget within the first 10 minutes of it. Um, this is really one of your sort of uh, low-rate sort of supernatural Nazi zombie movies set on a ship. Um, I'd give this a 2... Yeah, I'll give it a 2 out of 10. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'd just avoid it. There's no point. It's absolutely a waste of time. Two out of ten. Okay. Up next, we have got Contamination from 1980. Let's check out the trailer.
They come from outer space. Why not? How many worlds are there in the universe? Millions. Perhaps billions. Unless they come from much closer, but... Mars has always stimulated man's imagination. But as far as that cave was concerned, there was absolutely nothing in there. You were telling the truth all along. But these are photographs. But there hasn't been another expedition to Mars. No. These were found here, on Earth. Thousands of them. The woman is Stella Holmes, a first-class mind. and lady would like information about our coffee. All your questions will be answered here. Oh, it's too late. Hamilton has got your friends. <coughs> Okay, that was the trailer for Contamination. Oh, you got to love it. And I'm I'm glad we're back on uh, we're back on firm Italian sci-fi horror ground here. Of course, this is Contamination from 1980. Um it was directed by uh, Luigi Cosi. It was written by Luigi Cosi. It starred the great Ian McCulloch, uh, Louise uh, Marlello, uh, Mariano Masi, Siegfried Raunch. Uh, Gisela Han, uh, Carlo Di Mejo, and Carlo Moni. Um, this one plays out very, very much in the mold of Alien. Um, however, you get some incredible slow motion, stomach exploding um, gore. <laughs> so much so that this film ended up on the video nasty list. Um, it is one of the 72 films that ended up on there from the... Uh, the heyday of the 80s video nasties. It fell foul of the Video Recording Act 1984. Interestingly enough, though, uh, when it was released on Blu-ray, it was completely uncut and got downgraded from an 18 to a 15. So there we go. However, this is a really, really good film. Um, Ian McCulloch gives a great performance. Um, I think it's one of his strongest, actually. Um, it's got a great synthy score. It's got some great gore. In terms of the um, plot, doesn't actually make an awful lot of sense. You essentially get um, a cargo ship pulls up into the harbour, and it's containing some kind of uh, alien egg. Um, there's a cyclops... Um, it's just great. <laughs> like I said, it's full of gore. Um, it's got these alien pod clones. It's got, um, 
acid dissolving flesh woo. It, it, it's a it's a really really fun trip um, down the down the Italian Gore route. I really enjoyed it. Ian McCullough gives a great performance. It should be in any uh, completists um, collection. Uh, uh, Arrow have done a brilliant, brilliant release on it. And for, is it perfect? No. Um, does the plot make any sense? Not really. Some of the performances are a bit funny um, and a bit odd. The ADR. Oh, I'm a big. I quite like some of the silly ADR to it. So this, you know, it doesn't quite add up at times. However, Ian McCulloch is on top form, um, and for me, this is a six point five out of ten. <laughs> Okay, last up on What the Wookiee Watched, we have got Wishmaster from 1997. Let's check out the trailer. Watch that crate! That's very expensive! For centuries, he has remained hidden. Watching. Waiting. You now, he is coming. He knows your secret hopes. He sees your private dreams. And he can grant your every desire. Well, I'm not a <laughs> greedy man. How about a million dollars? I remember a certain potentate whose last party was talked about for centuries. Oh, God, how I'd love to host a party like that. I wish to be beautiful forever. Even if it kills you. As you wish. <laughs> like to escape no beg for your life help me pray for your soul but whatever you do ready to play don't make a wish <laughs> wish master careful what you wish for Okay, Wishmaster from 1997 was directed by legendary special effects master Robert Kurtzman. It was written by Peter Atkins. It starred Tammy Lauren, Andrew Divoff, uh, Robert England, who just appeared earlier, uh, Chris Lehman, Wendy Benson Landis, Tony Crane, Jenny O'Hara, Kane Hodder, Tony Todd. George Buck Flowers, John Biner, Rico Ross, Gretchen Fleming, Ted Raimi, the voice of legendary phantasm actor Angus Scrim, Reggie Bannister, Joseph Pilato, Brian Klugmans. And I mean, this is very much a who's who of modern horror cinema, isn't it? It's a great, I mean, I gotta be honest, I hadn't seen this in a very, very long time before I'd uh, watched it on the, for this episode, and I forgot how much fun it was. Um, some of the dialogue is not not the best. It's very very nineties. Um, some of the fashion in it does make me cringe because I kind of wore one or two of the things I noticed, 
including a lovely sort of velour type of jumper. Yeah, we won't get into that too much. Um, Robert Englund is excellent as always. It's always fun to see Kane Hodder. He's sporting a cheeky little mullet in this one as well. Um, the actual character of the gin is very, very good. Um, Andrew Divoff is excellent in this role. Um, and you can see there's a little twinkle in his eye and a bit of a nod to Freddy Krueger in this. Um, I really enjoyed this film and I would recommend it to most people. I don't know what the sequels are like because I've never actually got around to seeing them. However, I would give this one a, a 6 out of 10. So, our time draws to an end. And as always, we've got a couple shout-outs. First of all, I want to say a big hello and a big shout-out to Gidget Von LaRue, uh, who was on uh, recently. And of course, uh, check out her podcast, uh, along with Angry Man over at Retro Movie. Uh, great, great show, guys. Get yourselves over there. Um, of course, you can find them on uh, iTunes, same as us. Remember, guys, if you really, really like our show, or any other shows that we listen to, give us some five-star rating. Help spread the word. Get us noticed. Of course, our glamorously gothy gal pal, CL Raven. Now, of course, you can find them on Twitter at CL Raven. You can find them at their website, Raven's Retreat, on Instagram, on Facebook, and, of course, on Vitalize Radio. And, of course, Jay, just been on. And uh, you can find Jay at Freddie Finch. Uh, check out his work. Um, of course, he's contributed to the Dread Central at VHS Revival. He's all over the place. So, guys, go over and check out his writing. Of course, we mentioned VHS Revival. That's our good friend CJ's blog. Again, great writing. Well worth checking out. Um, <laughs> and, of course, we've got Alan Jeff over at Cadavercast. Fantastic father and son team. It's an awesome podcast. And I think they are going to be celebrating their 50th episode very, very soon. Of course, Darren Hall over at uh, Alt Movies. Uh, Paul Hayden at Schlock Horror. Now, of course, coming soon. Now, I think we're going to be covering Extrome, uh very, very soon. And we're going to be doing this with... Uh, my good friend Peter Nielsen. Uh, of course, you can find Peter Nielsen over at Peter underscore Nielsen over on Twitter. You can hear him over at Retro Movie Geek along with Joel and Daryl. You can find Daryl on about a billion different podcasts. And uh, you can find him on Twitter at The Voice 123. Of course, we want to say hello to my brother from another mother, Mr. Leighton Winston, who will be coming on the next episode where we're going to be talking Silence of the Lambs. As always, we want to say a big shout out to the Horror Movie Podcast and congratulate Dave Dr. Shock Becker for reaching his goal of 2,500 movie reviews. It's fairly impressive. Um, and a big shout out to Jay and, of course, Josh Legary over there, Wolfman Josh. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, Thank you for listening. Thank you for tweeting. Um, you can find us on SoundCloud, on uh, iTunes. Of course, you can check out uh, myself at the Undead Wookie on Twitter, at the Undead Wookie nineteen eighty on Instagram, and of course, come on over and give our Facebook page a like. So, ladies and gentlemen, in the immortal words of Count Dracula, good night out there, whatever you are.
This is Al from Cadavercast. You've been listening to Thunder Wookie. The back.